Welcome to the Wheel of Sports, brought to you by Melbourne's Turnstile Network. This is the podcast, home of the greatest sports stories ever told. My name's Ian McNally, and with me is... Matt Lavery! Hi, Hi Matt, I really loved it when you used to say... When say you used to say, you only said it on one episode, which was Matt Lavery, Matt Lavery. Yeah, okay. Maybe I should bring that back. I think, I think it's, it seems a strange catchphrase to catch someone phrase, to have. Yeah. Is the, it a catchphrase when you've said it once? There, well, no. You've got to, you've got to, the, the duality is what brings the yeah. glamour to it. Okay. Like, all right. Oh, do you want to do that again? Matt Lavery, Matt okay, Lavery. Okay. And, uh, with me on the Wheel of Spores is... Matt Lavery, Matt Lavery, Matt Lavery. Oh, no, three times oh, spores it. Yeah. Like you just twice is Sorry. a sweet spot. Three Sorry, times guys. next week. Yeah, I'll be good. all right. Next time, <laughs> next episode, we'll we'll work on it. Um, what have you been up to? Uh, look, started running again, so that's exciting. Oh, Warming yeah. up to the marathon. Yeah. What about yourself? Yeah, I, I'm started running up to. You know, I, I follow you on Strava, uh-huh. so uh, I feel a bit guilty sometimes. So I, I've started running, but I only do like a kilometer at a time. Yes. Just to, to work purely in the metric system. One kilometre. <laughs> One kilometre. That's how most As go. fast as it can. Uh-huh. That's it. Just you flat stop. out. Yeah, you have to stop because otherwise it's more than a kilometre. <laughs> <laughs> so you'll only do a kilometre, well, not I'll, a metre more. Not a metre more and, uh, I, you know, otherwise it's too far to go home then. So you're like a modern day, yeah, metric Roger Bannister. Yeah, although the, the measurement that I... Uh, run to is not in any like it's 800 meters 1500 meters at Olympic level there's no 1k is there so you're possibly holding a world record <laughs> and contended <laughs> that's exciting never thought about that yeah, yeah we'll see if maybe one day you'll uh, you'll feature anyway let's move on <laughs> <laughs> the wheel. Let, let's spin the, the wheel. wheel. <laughs> the, the wheel I'm still trying to catch my breath because I went for a run three days ago. Flat out as well. Okay. But anyway, uh, the topic for this episode is rule breaker. A rule breaker. Oh, this is exciting. I always love a rule breaker. Yeah, you know, I've never done a rule breaker, but I'll I'll give this one a go. Yeah, um, I, I love this. This sometimes it's just. Just playing old trickery, but like seediness, and there's always something behind the scenes as well. The motivation is what gets me. So, get get us started, Matt. What what's it all about? Oh, look, this is one of the biggest scandals to hit British sport in its history. It's the darkest moment probably in in professional club rugby. It ruined careers. It damaged the integrity of the sport. It's a it's a disgraceful act of cheating. It's Bloodgate, which the Harlequins were involved with. Back in April 2009. Do you, are you familiar with Bloodgate? I, I, I love the title. And I love like the Harlequins as well, which just is the one of the most playful team names. Probably, if we hark back to a previous episode of the Cumberland Fruit Pickers, Absolutely. the Harlequins are in that sweet spot. Yeah, well, this is it. So the Harlequins have a reputation for being these great entertainers. Historically, they're sort of seen as a really fun team. They've got this really uh, famously unique and weird kit. Are you familiar with it? With the, the patches yeah, the kind all of over patchwork. it? Yeah, it um, kind of looks like someone's auntie has made it. Yeah, it's yeah. just really odd. Um and they've got this famous kit, but unfortunately, this we're not going to be talking about the fun side of the the Harlequins today. It's it's really the dirty underbelly, um, which, as I say, in two thousand and nine, they were found guilty of this disgraceful act of of cheating. So, back in two thousand and four, a few years earlier, Harlequins had been relegated, and they're in disarray. 
But the chief executive, a guy called Mark Evans, had recently come in and he really wanted to change the culture and create a more winning, a winning mentality. I mean, Harlequins are based in southwest London, um, in Twickenham, so just over the road from the home of rugby, Twickenham Stadium, or Big Stoop as the Harlequins fans call it. They play just in the shadow of that in their Harlequin Stadium called the Stoop. They're, they're sort of this fun side, as I say, and Mark Evans sees them as a real sleeping giant with so much potential, you know, based so close to London, so close to the HQ of rugby. So he appoints Dean Richards uh, as the head coach and director of rugby. And Dean Richards is he's there to change the mindset and the culture of the club. And he's just this fearsome bear of a man. And he, he'd only ever played during the amateur era. But as a coach, you know, he had this sort of really steely, quite terse, you know, almost abrasive attitude, particularly with the, the press, but, you know, with, it, with the players as well. He was a, a demanding man. And Harlequins are union, is that right? Yeah, sorry. So this Harlequins play in, in rugby union. So he comes in, Dean Richards, and turns the, the club around a bit. They get back into the top flight of uh, club rugby union uh, in England. Um, and they actually even get into the European Cup. And in 2009, they've completely reorganised. And they're in the quarterfinals on the April, April 12, 2009, against the Irish team Leinster. Uh, Leinster have got a real real pedigree, you know, one, seen as one of the sort of giants of club rugby in Europe. Yeah, Harlequins, it's probably their biggest game in, in certainly in their recent history. It's a sellout. It's a wet, miserable day. And probably against the odds, it's actually a really close game. I think a lot of people would have sort of predicted Leinster to be winners. But Harlequins are, are tough on the day. They it's a close game. They really sort of make it a bit of an arm wrestle. It's very, very low scoring, very physical. A rugby game, very physical. Yeah, sure. <laughs> well, it's none of the sort of expansive, throwing it, running it stuff. It's all down in the mud. War the of forwards. attrition. War of attrition, exactly. With 15 minutes to go, Mike Brown, uh, the Harlequins fullback, had scored a try to bring the game pretty close. At that point, it was 6-5. So Leinster had scored two penalties. And, and Mike Brown had scored try, which is worth five. Now, under normal circumstances, uh, after you score a try, you can then try and convert that for an extra bonus two points by doing the kick. And Nick Evans would be, he's a specialist kick taker, but he's arguably Harlequin's best player as well. Uh, he played for New Zealand before moving over to London. And he, he, he's got a reputation for being really good at kicking. Unfortunately, Nick Evans is off the field injured. He's been replaced by Chris Malone. So Chris Malone, he has a bit of a forgettable game. He's come on for Nick Evans. He has an opportunity to score two bonus points to give Harlequins the lead, 7-6. But he misses his kick, uh, which means that Harlequins are still losing 6-5. And then Chris Malone, who's the substitute kicker for Nick Evans, he gets injured and has to go off. Harlequins at this stage are one point behind, but any kick... To either team, any successful kick is probably going to win them the match. It's been so close. There's about 10 minutes to go uh, and there's not a lot in it. But unfortunately, Harlequins are struggling with injuries. And that's a low-scoring game, isn't it? Like Very low-scoring. Like that scoreline itself shows you how difficult the game this has mm. been. It really had, yeah. As I say, very much in the forwards, slow, muddy, nothing really going on. And um, and really, a kicker 
could define the game. But Harlequin's kickers are off injured. This all sounds fine. There's no rules being broken here. Like, this is no problem so far. No problem How long are the so game far. to go? Well, uh, about 15 minutes. Um, you can't tell me that, that, that Harlequin haven't got anybody on the team that can kick well, rugby ball. You know, like, well, you, that's it, you yeah. know, cometh the man, cometh the hour. <laughs> Someone you know, can do it. you just got to, you know, you keep grinding Leinster down and then hope you get an opportunity and that that's the end of it. Well, this is it. I mean, it's a big game, as I say, the biggest in Harlequin's history. And with 10 minutes to go, Nick Evans is seen to be warming up. That's a bit strange because he's gone off injured. I mean, he was injured before the game started, but as their best player, as the star player, Nick Evans was was always going to start that game. But he he was injured before the game. He's been taken off injured. Now he's warming up. Now, by the side of the field, he's sitting on a bicycle. Yeah, which which is what the substitutes would often do to get warm, so they're ready to come on and sort of make an impact straight away. Oh, like an 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 exercise bike. Yeah, exactly. Exercise bike. Sorry, I I kind of had it like him on a penny farthing or a unicycle or something. Just Just warming up the crowd in in his Harlequins uh, like gear, just entertaining. They should. The Harlequins should do that, shouldn't they? they? Just be real entertainers. Only sign players who can unicycle. Harlequins have got a player on the pitch at this point called Tom Williams. Now, Tom Williams had come on. He's not a specialist kicker, but he plays towards the back. As he comes onto the pitch, he speaks to the club physio, Steph Brennan. And Williams tells Brennan, the physio, that Dean Richards, the director of rugby and the head coach, had said to Williams, the player... I'll be coming off for blood. So where's he from? Where's Dean Richards from? Transylvania. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, a few minutes later, Steph's come back onto the pitch, the, the physio, and gives William some instruction, which is swap positions with David Strettle. So move into fullback. And as he does so, he hands him something. Williams has a look and it's a blood capsule. Now, Williams doesn't know what to do, so he stuffs it into his sock. When I'm saying blood capsule, I'm talking about the, the ones you'd get for Halloween from the joke shop. You know, <laughs> it's as simple as that. And, we- and so what is the physio hoping here? Like, just it, she's going to next bring him on glow-in-the-dark fang teeth. Yeah. And then just have a bit of blood coming down and then scare Leinster. Oh, Be scare like, Leinster. Yeah, look at this. Look at this. Well, the rules are in rugby union, you know, if you get an injury, a muscular or skeletal injury, you've, you can go off or you can stay on. That's really your call. But there's certain injuries, um, like concussion, but also blood injuries, where you're allowed to be substituted. In fact, you're supposed to go off to stem the flow of blood, you know, for health and safety reasons. And contamination with other Exactly, well. yeah, yeah. For, for sure. So that, you know, blood uh, or infections in the blood wouldn't be um, transmitted around. So... Williams jogs back to the uh, to the fullback position, which is out of the way of the action. He then gets the on- his only contact of the game. As I say, he's just come on the field, but there's no injury. So he catches the ball anyway, sort of gets rid of it, moves off. He ends up wandering off on his own to the to the middle of nowhere, right out of the way of the action, and bends down on one knee, sort of takes a kneel, leans into his sock, picks out the little blood capsule and bites on it. It falls out of his mouth. So he then has to pick it up and put it back in his mouth and then chew on it a second time. It's almost like he hasn't done this before. <laughs> well, this is it. So so all of a sudden, he's covered in blood and he's signalling he has to go off. But obviously the Leinster coaching staff are, are very suspicious about this. They're thinking, why is he bleeding? In fact, one of the TV commentators even asks, who punched Tom Williams in the mouth? 
Was it Tom Williams? <laughs> <laughs> that, see, that would be quite honourable, wouldn't it? You know, <laughs> to get the blood real yourself. punching yourself in the face. Well, he's then walking off, and one of, his, one of his teammates calls to him, basically saying, man up, you're fine, there's nothing the matter with you. So Williams gives him a wink to say, look, I'm, I am all right after all. And again, the TV cameras pick this up. But it's not just the TV cameras and the TV commentators that are alert to what's going on. The Leinster coaching staff had noticed that there was something very suspicious about Nick Evans, an injured player who's been substituted, a specialist kicker warming up on the on the exercise bike. So he comes over and the chief of operations, a guy called Ronan O'Donnell, he is absolutely furious. Is he Irish, by the way? He is. (laughs) (laughs) Was it his name? (laughs) Well, he's he's absolutely going bananas. He's screaming at the referee. He's calling Harlequins cheats. He's shouting to the referee and to the uh, assistant referees, check if that's real blood. But Nigel Owens, the referee, who's a very experienced rugby union referee, sort of one of the, the best probably out there, you know, very highly respected. Goes over to check with the assistant because, so far as he can understand, the only reason that Evans would be allowed to be cut, to return to the field, having been substituted, would be if he hadn't been substituted for Dean Richards is a there as well. Which he hadn't. substitute card was marked as substitution, he can come on. If it's marked as replacement, he can't. That is fine. He's quite entitled to come on as blood. Yes, he can come on with Williams going off for blood. Very clear definition there of the rules from Nigel Owens. Evans is back on. We thought this afternoon had come to an end. How can he come back on? I can't work out if he is going to come back on. How that is possible. As long as 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 there's blood. Well, that's obvious blood. There's Tom Williams who's going off. Malone's gone off. Williams in trouble. And Evans about to come back on. Who punched Tom Williams in the mouth? Tom Williams? Evans goes onto the field, and on the field, there's, there's minutes left. Nick Evans has an opportunity to kick a goal, but Leinster are, you know, really fired up for this. Not all of the players really understand all of the commotion, but everyone can see there's a lot going on on the sidelines between the two coaching staffs. Harlequin uh, coaches are shouting, learn the rules, you need to learn the rules. He's bleeding, so we're allowed to make a substitute. Meanwhile, Leinster's saying he's not bleeding, that's fake blood, and they are really calling in the cheats. That's a, like so soon, isn't it, to be definite that it's fake blood? Because mm. that's a big call. They must have seen it or known that well, was exactly it. Ronan O'Donnell certainly seemed pretty certain about it. So even the Leinster players, though, whilst they maybe didn't really understand what was going on, perhaps they weren't even really aware of why Evans was allowed back on the field. You know, there's a lot going on in a rugby match. In a rugby match. You know, everyone's concentrated and focused on their jobs. But nevertheless, everyone identifies that Nick Evans, even an injured Nick Evans, is a threat. They're doing everything to prevent Nick Evans getting a clean kick at goal because if he does, they'll win the game. Harlequins will win the game. If he's unsuccessful with any kicks and Harlequins don't get any other points, Leinster will win the game and go through to the semi-finals. So Leinster just can't allow 
Evans to have a chance. They, they're pushing him back. They end up getting a big hit in and force him back an extra five yards. So when he finally does get his kick, he's 40 yards away, which in the rain and with his injury was always going to be difficult. And look, he doesn't convert. So Leicester win the game 6-5. But off the field, it's really only just getting started. <laughs> As I say, the Leinster operational manager, Ronan O'Donnell, he won't let Tom Williams out of his sight because he's convinced something's gone on here. So he sends the Leinster doc. So Tom Williams uh, is escorted by the Harlequin's medical staff, including the doctor, Wendy Chapman, into the Harlequin's changing room and they lock the door. So the Leinster doctor turns up and he's knocking on the door saying, let me in. I want to see the injured player. You know, as a medical professional, he's trying to gain access and they won't let him. And Tom Williams is, is panicking because he realizes he doesn't have a cut. He's got all of this ridiculous looking fake blood, you know, children's style fake blood all over his face. And you should have seen it when he, when he walks off the field. It's well worth looking up this footage. It looks like he's vomiting blood. He, he like spits it all out of his mouth. <laughs> He mustn't realise how much is going to be in there. Like he chucks it up and you think either this guy is dying of the most chronic illness. He's, got, he's contracted or, tuberculosis yeah. and he's just going... Or, or something suspicious is going on. So um, the Leinster doctor can't gain access, but while he's banging on the door, Williams is saying he's going to cut himself and he's trying to find something to give himself a serious injury and... The doctor, Wendy Chapman's in there and she's saying, you can't cut yourself. She's obviously got to prevent him doing harm. And she's really struggling with her sort of obligations as a doctor and a medical professional, but also to her employer. And she understands the situation. So under the pressure of it, she ends up agreeing to cut him on the inside of his mouth, thinking that she'd do a better job of not giving him a serious injury than if he was to try and slice himself open. It's so, that's so scary, isn't it's it? It's mad. Like, how dramatic is that? Yeah, well, on the field, the, or, you know, back towards the field, the camps, the two camps, the coaching camps are arguing ferociously. And it's sort of around this point that the referee, Nigel Owens, he's coming off the field. And that's when he says he actually started to hear the accusations of fake blood properly. So they go into their changing rooms and Leinster have won the game. And the touch judges, one of them sort of says, do you know what? We're very lucky that Leinster have won this game here because otherwise the integrity of our sport could be destroyed. And at this stage, you know, it's, it's probably more hearsay than evidence. But Ronan o- O'Donnell said he, he spoke to one of the officials on the sideline and basically said, I am absolutely furious. You know, I'm pissed off about this situation. And somebody else said, me too, look at this. And he showed him his finger and his finger was supposed to have some blood on it. And he said it looked just like a Crayola pencil had, like, or a crayon had just melted all <laughs> over his hand. He said it looked nothing like blood whatsoever. There's now all of this intrigue from the media, of course. As I say, the commentators had picked it up during the match. They've seen the two camps, particularly Ronan, Ronan O'Donnell, arguing ferociously. So the media, of course, want to start asking questions. Now, both managers, uh, Dean Richards of, of Harlequins, he comes out and they ask him some pretty direct questions. And he just says, yeah, my conscience is clear. Um, Tom Williams had a cut in the rules. When a player's cut, we're allowed to take them off. And he sort of maybe concedes some ground there for the first time because he sort of says, well, I'm not saying he was injured. I'm saying he had a cut. That's sort of how he, how he surmises it. And I, I always sort of think, well, that's interesting. 
Because even if he did have a cut, and you're saying, yeah, in the rules, you're allowed a substitution for a, for a cut, you're sort of even now acknowledging he probably wasn't really injured, which is quite telling, I think. Well, even that he says, my conscience is clear. Yeah, well, like, he's asked that you directly. You don't kind of say that. No, he was asked directly, oh, is, is your conscience clear? And he said, yes, my conscience is clear. Yeah, as I said, we missed eight points, didn't we, from kicks and, um, and a drop goal each. Uh, if we'd have kicked our kicks, we probably would have won. Hand on heart, was Tom Williams bleeding when he came off? He came off with a cut in his mouth. The issue is, is whether he was injured. Uh, and, uh, and you have a right, if somebody has a cut, to bring them off, which is what we, we decided to do. So your conscience is clear on that one? Yeah, very much so. Well, he should have said, that's irrelevant, because mm. it doesn't matter about my conscience. It's yes. like, but even in answering that question, yeah, good point. it's like when some people say, you know, um, there's some like, politicians who say, now, we're not a racist party. You're like, well, no one was talking about you being a racist party, but you having to, you defending that straight up sets the alarm Makes bells off like straight it, yeah. away. That's that's really intriguing. Well, well, that was the first thing. I mean, there's um, Michael Checker. He gets interviewed post match. Michael Checker's the uh, the Leinster manager, and he just says, "Look, I saw no blood," which I thought was quite a good, you know, but he's political be, answer. He's supposed to be the Checker. <laughs> As in the blood checker. Does, does he, Is does that he what you're going move, with? Does he only move diagonally around the field? Yeah, that would have been better. <laughs> <laughs> but he, um, Not everything in black and white makes sense. No, carry on, carry on. Uh, yeah, Michael Chekhov gave a pretty good balanced answer when he said, I saw no blood, which I thought, yeah, isn't that's that a great way of putting it. it. Yeah. Just, what happened? He said, well, I didn't see any blood. He never said he saw any cheating either. He said, I saw no blood. Very, very tight finish in the heat of the moment. Some excitable words being exchanged down there on the benches when Nick Evans came back on. Uh, did you feel Harlequins were playing by the book? Well, look, it's not for me to say I didn't see any blood, but, you know, um, we'll, we'll have a look at it and we'll see what the story is. But uh, uh, the officials made a decision at the time, and once that happens, he's not much... Did you agree with that decision, Michael? Well, uh, not that I could see. He sort of, the, the back fell down, but like, at the end of the day... That's what they call. They can only call what's in front of them. So they called it. We had our say about trying to uh, object against it, and that wasn't the case. It went on, and the game went on. Now the press are sort of, you know, they're clamouring for an explanation. What's gone on? So there's photographs released of uh, Tom Williams's cut, as well as a statement from Dr. Wendy Chapman saying, "Yeah, the player was was injured." So she's now making statements implicated not probably not true there's obviously a lot of interest in what's going on and european uh, cup the erc they're able to get a hold of some footage because this was a televised game and um, obviously there's cameras running all the time but not all of it is is broadcast well they got a hold of the sort of full unedited footage that wasn't available to anybody else and they did this full review and when you watch it you can really see something is passed by the physio um, Steph through to, to Tom Williams uh, and then you see just a few moments later well he, he sort of moves whatever it is into his sock but a few minutes later you see him kneel down take something out of his sock put it in his mouth falls out of his mouth he picks it back up puts it back in his mouth again and then all of a sudden he's practically vomiting blood everywhere and he's seen winking to his teammate and that wink was sort of yeah, I guess very suspicious. You know, why are you winking to your teammate? And he always said he he was just doing it to sort of show he wasn't too seriously hurt to his teammate. And yeah, the 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 aftermath 
Williams was initially banned for, for 12 months. Um, but Dean Richards, the, the head coach, and his two backroom staff, physio Steph Brennan and Dr. Wendy Chapman, they were all cleared. And the initial uh, reaction is Williams has been sacrificed. The idea, the concept that Williams has somehow got a hold of a blood capsule himself to get himself off so that Evans can come back on is ridiculous, right? I mean, it's ludicrous. It's ludicrous. How, how could he possibly coordinate that? This And he's a young, well, youngish, 25 years old, I think, at the time. This kid can't even successfully bite into a cat's blood capsule without dropping it on the floor and giving the game away. Well, that's it. Who thinks he's a criminal mastermind? Well, he's given the choice, basically. You either take the 12-month ban or you become a whistleblower. And he does. He decides to, to blow the whistle. And that in itself is, is controversial because a lot of the Harlequins players felt that he should take, fall on his sword take and the take fall. it for the team. Um, and they, but it was interesting. You, know, you, you, you hear from players like Ugo Monier, who was another one of Harlequin's stars, or Danny Kerr another one of the stars they'd played for England. And they said that if they'd been asked to do it, they would have done it as well. They would have committed that crime, if you like. But they also said that Williams should have accepted it and been a hero. You know, it's part of our culture to win. You were the unlucky one. Just accept it. And there was also some condemnation because there's some rumours about a payment that maybe Williams received from Harlequins. And it's an unconditional payment because obviously the Harlequins club couldn't put any conditions saying don't admit anything uh, because that would be seen as a bribe. So Harlequins gave him some money, basically, you know, as sort just of a, just as a pay. It is, is 25 grand. Just go down the joke shop and yeah. shoot yourself. <laughs> go buy some new, <laughs> some new sharp teeth. Um, so he took the money, at, but he still became the whistleblower. So Williams was pretty... Uh, damned by a lot of his teammates. Also, Williams gave this whole explanation of, oh, I was a naive young kid. And his colleagues, the other players sort of felt, a lot of them felt, you're not that young and you're not that naive. You know, you chose to partake in this action. Anyway, Williams uh, comes clean, blames Richards. And after an investigation by the rugby authorities, Dean Richards ends up being given a three-year ban uh, Steph Brennan, the physio, was given a two-year ban, and Dr. Wendy Chapman was suspended by the General Medical Council, um, but that was later reduced to a, a, a reprimand on appeal. Williams, who'd given evidence, um, had his 12-month ban reduced to four months on appeal, um, so he did sort of benefit from complying with the investigation, and Harlequins were fined 237 grand. But the, the real sort of ripples of this were that First of all, a lot of professional rugby coaches, players, weren't unified in condemnation. A lot of other people in rugby sort of saw it as one of those things. And actually, maybe culturally, it was something that went on. Well, there was then four... (laughs) (laughs) I really hope, listeners, that you can hear in our studio, our soundproof studio that we're in, the cleaner is vacuuming with with an industrial strength. It's really going vacuum backpack, uh, and it's distracting. Yeah. And it's even if you can't hear it, it's distracting to us. But uh, you know, we're professionals. You got to we'll keep going <laughs> when you got a job to do. I mean, we'll, talk about cleaning up the audio. Yeah, <laughs> we'll, have to. well, 
What um, what ended up coming out was through all of the investigations and the stories. Basically, there was four other previous blood injuries that had been faked by Harlequins that came out, and uh, a former Harlequin, George Robson. He actually talked about it, and he said that he once put a piece of gauze with some blood on it to his head to come off with a blood injury, and it wasn't his blood. It was just a piece of gauze. But what he talked about, which was really interesting, is the social norms that can be created within a culture and how they just become so acceptable. Um, he knows now that it was wrong, and, and Robson's talked about it quite openly, but he said at the time it felt normal. And he didn't think it was wrong and he didn't think it was weird that he was faking blood injuries or feigning injury, reopening wounds, you know, cutting players, cutting themselves. Um, It it sort of all went on within the game and he just said it was sort of normal. Um, Dean Richards, he's been uh, questioned on it and he says that he knows that during 2003's Rugby World Cup, England used fake blood. But he didn't know if it was somebody in the medical team or if it was sort of a blood capsule and how that worked. But he's convinced that England had cheated as well. And this whole scandal sort of rippled, well, ruptured the sport, actually. And and rugby still probably has an integrity problem even now in terms of how it manages the rules and abuses within those. That's like a lot of people talk about this um, with drug use drug cheats Mm. like a lot of that is said in the same they just say it just becomes so normal when you're in the team that why wouldn't you take it you don't question it particularly when it's a medical professional i think that's critical to the thing if good old dr wendy is telling you you can do this Mm. then all of a sudden it has a you're generally compliance to people in that authority yes and if you're just a sportsman who's used to going and sitting on a physio table or whatever and, and being told what to do, this is going to make you better, this is going to make you recover quicker, just mm. do what I say, Yeah, you, you just give yourself over to that and that's the end of it. It seems bizarre, though, that they've given players a joke shop blood capsule and then none of them are thinking... Yeah, this is a bit weird. It's a bit strange, <laughs> a bit strange. isn't it? Yeah. I can kind of, I almost have a bit more sympathy with the 18 and 19 year old lad who's really trying to break through in a sport and the club doctor's saying to him, just have an injection and this will mean you can play on Saturday. Yeah. I have a bit more sympathy with that almost, but that's seen as worse almost, the drug cheat. Well, I mean, and a this- lot of people, a lot of the critics of this bloodgate scandal talk about it in the same terms as as drug cheating or doping they see no difference at all it's it's sort of as bad as that for them um, i hope by the way the listener can pick up the clicking of the uh oh, <laughs> of, of the lead along the floor <laughs> it's going Matt. we we've got to change the studio or make a complaint <laughs> or something here or it's, it's, we may as well be recording in, in the street exactly yes <laughs> We, um, but it's interesting you say that about having sympathy because certainly Tom Williams would appeal to you then as a as a potential sympathizer. Basically, his he returned to Harlequins and then as a coach, but he said that Harlequins, whenever they're mentioned, you don't hear about Bloodgate, but every time he's mentioned, it's Bloodgate, and he says that it's something he has to bear for the rest of his life. And he says it's probably the same for Steph Brennan. Wendy Chapman, 
and arguably Dean Richards, but certainly Williams' attitude is, well, Richards deserves that because he created the culture. Richards was the one who came in and, you know, did whatever it took. And that included breaking those rules. And, and it's not a little bit of gamesmanship or bending the rules, but, yeah, breaking them wide open. It's they, aggressively manipulating yeah, the rules. and it's manipulating a rule that is, you know, is a good rule. It's there for, for health and safety reasons and... Um, yeah, to sort of take advantage of that is really cold-blooded, I think. And really, cold-blooded, well yeah, played. thanks. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Just real so nasty. Williams, who bit into the capsule, yes. he took a payment from Harlequins, blew the whistle, and then went back to Harle- Harlequins. Is that right? Yeah, yeah, as a coach later that would on. would have been awkward, would Yeah, it, it is. And uh, I think that's a bit... Uh, look, it, maybe he's. They see him as part of the Harlequins family, the fabric. Maybe they, you know, blood is thicker than water. <laughs> <laughs> that was a good one. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> Scandal. That is an amazing rule breaker. And like, once the cat's out of the bag, like no one can ever. Surely, no one can ever do this again. Mm. Because surely all the umpires, even the crowd and things, must be switched on. When anyone invokes that rule, the alarm bells must be going off now. In well, you'd, you'd, you'd certainly hope so. Because, you know, the, the Harlequins fans, and I think any fans of any sport, you wouldn't want to win in that way. You know, maybe there's something to be said for being a bit of a dirty team or, you know, being known as a cynical team. Who wins? You know, and it, it's definitely possible to... You know, be on the right side of the rules, I think, and and the fans to really embrace it. You know, like Leeds in the 70s, for example, Leeds United Football Club, really famous for, for being dirty Leeds. But the, the fans really loved that. But I think if, you've, if they were to know that it went beyond bending the rules and just smashed them wide open and really took advantage in such a cynical way, no fan's going to want want that it's it's disgraceful well there's no joy is there no the joy is kind of being really close to the rules and still doing your thing or playing to your strengths a bit like wimbledon as well the crazy gang yes the way they played yeah wimbledon football club yeah not uh, the tennis yes yeah <laughs> <laughs> the tennis yeah john Vashinu, like just yeah <laughs> <laughs> but yeah so amazing rule breaker math Thank you very much. That is uh, now. Uh, it's all that. All that talk has made me thirsty. Uh, <laughs> go. That's the cleaner. She'll probably get you one. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks for listening to the Wheel of Sports. Share it with your friends. Word of mouth is very useful to us as well. Um, make sure you spend a bit of time just to review wherever you get your podcasts, whichever platform. You can follow us on Twitter, Instagram at The Wheel of Sport, uh, or send us an email at thewheelofsport at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you or tweet or send us a message, however you can get us. <laughs> and we'll see you next time. Thanks, Matt. Thank you so much. Bye. I deeply regret the role that I have played in this unacceptable incident that has done so much damage to the image of rugby union. I let down my teammates and the club fans and I'll have to live with those actions for the rest of my career.